You're listening to the Southwide Baptist Church Podcast with Pastor Jeremy Lewis. At Southwide Baptist Church, our mission is to boldly proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ and thereby lead people to worship God authentically, connect in biblical community, grow in Christian maturity, and multiply disciples and churches both locally and globally. For more information about our church, please visit www.southwidebaptist.com. Now let's join Pastor Jeremy for today's message. If you have a copy of God's Word, I'm going to invite you to turn with me to John chapter 8. John chapter 8. And it has been a while since we've been in John. Um, but we are headed back there for the new year and uh, just incredibly um, encouraged by all that we saw in God's Word uh, in Isaiah and a couple other places, just being reminded of this king that we have. Uh, but we're circling back to John uh, with some very core convictions, namely John chapter 20 and verse 31 that says, These are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And I'm just convinced uh, that one of the greatest needs in the church today is for us to get back to the basics of what the gospel is and what we've been called to do as God's people. Uh, And that primarily is, number one, that you would personally believe the gospel So if you're here this morning, even as few as we are, and you do not know Jesus, it is our earnest plea and God's word to you that you believe the gospel today. He commands that all men everywhere repent and believe. And so this is what we proclaim. And then secondly, that we would personally proclaim the gospel this year. So last week, uh, we talked about being about the Lord's business and how appropriate that we would get back into John Uh, to talk about what it means to be about the Lord's business, namely the proclamation of the gospel. This is why the church exists, that those who do not know Jesus would become saved, that God, through the preaching of his word, would save the lost, and that we would become fully devoted followers of Jesus. This is the whole point of why we exist. And so we come back to perhaps the most important book and all of the Bible regarding the gospel and the call to believe. So we left off uh, when we uh, were here in John, we left off at the end of chapter 7, almost. Uh, We finished up at verse 52, Um, but if you have a Bible that includes verse 53 in chapter 8, you are uh, among the norm. There are, uh, there's one verse at the end of chapter 7 that seems like it would fit best in the story uh, coming into chapter 8 at the beginning. Um, But that story goes through about verse 11, and what we're going to do this morning for a number of reasons is we're going to skip that story and come back to it later. Really important things that are in it and some really important things to say about it, but we're going to reserve that for a later date. We're going to pick up the story here in John chapter 8 and verse 12 where Jesus is still here at the Temple Mount and he is speaking to the Pharisees and having a conversation about what it means to believe. 
and he proclaims to them again who he is. So, if you found your place, let me invite you to stand with me in honor of the reading of God's Word as we begin at John chapter 8 and verse 12. The Bible says again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the Pharisees said to him, You are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. Jesus answered, Even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true. For I know where I came from and where I am going. But you do not know where I, came from, where I come from or where I am going. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true. For it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. In your law it is written that the testimony of two people is true. I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. They said to him, Therefore, where is your Father? Jesus answered, You know neither me nor my Father. If you knew me, you would know my Father also. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, but no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. So he said to them again, I am going away and you will seek me and you will die in your sin. Where I am going, you cannot come. So the Jews said, will he kill himself since he says where I am going, you cannot come? He said to them, you are from below. I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. So they said to him, who are you? Jesus said to them, just what I've been telling you from the beginning. I have much to say about you and much to judge, but he who sent me is true. And I declare to the world what I have heard from him. They did not understand that he had been speaking to them about the Father. So Jesus said to them, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, and that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. And he who sent me is, without, is, is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. As he was saying these things, many believed in him. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we ask that you would remind us of who you are in this passage and that we would see it with the clarity of the context that is here. Because even in the familiarity of this statement that you made, we can sometimes miss the reality of what's going on even in our own hearts. And how callous we become to the truth. And so I pray that this morning you would convict us of what it really means for you to be the light of the world. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. Well, we find Jesus here in the midst of the same conversation that he was engaged in whenever we ended chapter 7. 
or at least the second to last verse. He didn't come to the feast in the city in order to make some kind of grand entrance. In fact, he was encouraged by his disciples, you'll remember, that he should now make his entrance to the city. There, there's all these people in the city and he should come in and, and declare himself to be king. And Jesus did everything that he could in order to avoid that because his time had not yet come. Nonetheless, Jesus does go into the city and he goes in there quietly and ends up, as Jesus always does, getting into spiritual conversation with those that are there. Who, by the way, although they were religious leaders, it is incredibly important to note here that they were not at all close to God. These were not men who, on the outside, although they looked like they had a shell of religiousness, they had an emptiness inside them that did not know God. They were prideful. They were self-righteous. And they were, without doubt, unbelievers. And that truth, by the way, continues to come out. If you'll read through the Gospel of John, you'll see again and again that these religious rulers, although they have the guise of spirituality, they did not know God. And can I just say to you as a side, that there is nothing that we can do in order to earn the favor of God. Pleasing God is not ultimately about who we look like on the outside. It is through Jesus and Jesus alone that we can please God. Jesus pleases the Father on our behalf. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus alone, not of any work that we can do. And yet, these, these Pharisees, these religious leaders, were doing exactly that, or at least attempting to. So Jesus leaves no room for doubt in their minds about who he is and what mission he is on. And it's there right in the middle of, or right at the beginning of the passage, verse 12. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. It's pretty plain. It's pretty plain. His main point, Jesus comes right out of the gate here And that truth, by the way, has pierced the hearts of people for 2,000 years as this very passage has been preached. The fact that Jesus is the light of the world. And the same is true just as much today as it was when Jesus spoke it. The truth of this passage is this. Jesus is the light of life that shines into our spiritual darkness. Jesus is the light of life that shines into our spiritual darkness. And this is really important that we get this because the reality is we understand that the world around us is a dark place. And we tend to assume that that all of the darkness is outside and all of the darkness is out here and separated from us. But the reality is that even the best heart of men is still nothing but darkness, even in our own nature. And the only hope that we have is that Jesus would come and shine the light of God into the midst of our darkness. It's the only hope for the world. Jesus, the light of the world. Well, this is one of the I am statements. If you study the book of John, you'll find that Jesus makes seven different I am statements. And almost all of them, all but one in fact, end with I am 
something. But even before we can get to the I am something, the blank that you fill in, here we see it's the light of the world, we need to recognize that Jesus is claiming the very title of God. He is the ego I me. He is the I am God. The same God who revealed himself to Moses as the I am, the one who would deliver his people from bondage to Egypt, and ultimately the same God who would send Messiah Jesus to come. This is the same God in the flesh. Jesus is God in human flesh. But we're going to take some more time on that in a few weeks. Here, the I am statement has an object, namely the light of the world. Jesus is, I am, the light of the world. Now, it's important that we always include context when we consider what things are being said. If you just simply rip a verse out of context and give it your own meaning, then you've done injustice to what the meaning of the text really is. So what is this moment in which Jesus is speaking? What's happening here in this scene? Well, it's, as chapter 7 and verse 2 already told us, it's the Feast of Booths, the Feast of Tabernacles. And it's the time in the life of Israel where it's one of the many great celebrations where they would come and all these Jews would come from everywhere and they would gather in the city and and they would sing and they would worship and they would do sacrifices and, and all of these different things. And one of the things that they did is this this celebration of the Feast of Booths. And they would remember during this celebration the provision of God during the time in the wilderness. And so Jesus has already given this kind of background whenever he says that, that if anyone thirsts, come to me and let him drink, right? Because out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. That's, of course, set against the context of the pouring ceremony where they remembered the the water that God provided in the wilderness. And they remembered the the provision of God in the Old Testament. The irony, though, as Jesus showed us, the irony is that all the while they are celebrating the provision of God in the Old Testament while rejecting the provision of God in the New Testament, namely rejecting Jesus. So here, the same irony is in play. How? Well, another part of the celebration of the Feast of Booths was the illumination of the temple. Beautiful ceremony where they had these four giant pillars, menorahs. And at the top of these pillars were these oil lamps. And some estimate that these pillars were as much as 75 feet tall. Something that could be seen all over town. And they would light these every single night. And it was a reminder, kind of like we light candles at Christmas It was a reminder that that God had provided in the Old Testament, that he was that one who led them as a pillar of fire. Two things that it reminded reminded them of, two primary things. One was the Shekinah glory. That is the visible presence of God in the temple. You'll remember that as they were going through the wilderness, that they were led at night by this pillar of fire but that God himself would come and he would inhabit the temple and there would be lightning or the tabernacle and there would be lightning and thunders as the glory of God showed up. It was the visible presence of God among them. And as they look at these four oil lanterns, it reminded them that God is with them. 
But the second thing that it reminded of, reminded them of is the very darkness that they were in and the fact that God had promised to bring light. Miss Norma, you told me this morning you started Isaiah. We just finished Isaiah uh, chapter 9. And you'll remember at the beginning of chapter 9 that they were a people who walked in darkness, but that they had seen a great light. That God had promised this great light. And this great light would be the Messiah to come. They all knew and believed this. They believed that hope was coming. And yet, here hope was right in front of them. Jesus stands in the temple amidst the backdrop of this celebration. He's coming, He's coming, He's coming. And Jesus says, no, He's here. I am the light of the world. And it wasn't just for them. It was the whole world that was in spiritual darkness at this moment. And Jesus has come to say, I am the light of the world. No matter who you are, no matter how deep your darkness, Jesus has come in the midst of that darkness. And he is the one who pierces the darkness with his light. He is the visible presence of God among us. John 1 and verse 14 says that we beheld, we saw His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus is God with us. He is the very pillar of fire that leads us out of the darkness. He is the one, the great light, who shines in the deepest of our darknesses and brings life. I love what Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 6. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness. What Paul was talking about there is creation, right? You remember? In the beginning, God spoke and there was light. That was an amazing thing. I mean, I can't even imagine. You just speak. I mean, we try to do that today, right? Hey, Google, turn the lights on, right? Hey, Alexa, turn the lights on. But God speaks before light ever came. And it just was there. No sun, no moon, just light. That same God looks into even an even more impossible situation. And that is the darkness of the human heart. And He speaks life. What does Paul say? That He has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the light of the world. And we must recognize Him as that. We must recognize the one that God has given. And yet, you need to notice very carefully that it's not enough just for Jesus to be the light of the world. This is not just a statement about the identity of Christ. It is that, but it is not only that. Because what Jesus says is, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. We celebrate at Christmas the coming of Jesus into the world. And in some sense, Christmas is celebrated as a universal holiday, right? You think about the world around you, even people who are not Christians. Some of them, many of them, have nativities in, a, in their homes Right? We, we celebrate Christmas as a universal reality. But according to Jesus, 
Although he is the universal light of the world, not all people worship him as the light. Do you see that? There is a required response to Jesus. You don't just, because Jesus came, you're saved. Something has to happen in your life. What is it that has to happen? Well, Jesus says that those who do not walk in darkness and those who have the light of life are particularly those who follow Jesus. That's the statement. That's the difference maker, right? You follow Jesus, you receive light. And that would seem to be pretty straightforward in most of our minds. I mean, you think about the Old Testament, right? You're in darkness, you see a great light before you, you follow the fire. I mean, that makes perfect sense, right? Or if you're in the dark city of Jerusalem and lights shine up in the sky, right? You know where to go. It seems like most people would go in the direction of the light. But listen to this carefully. Going in the direction of the light, following Jesus is not the natural inclination of the human heart. And it is not especially the natural inclination of those who are in spiritual darkness. In fact, the natural inclination is to go just the opposite direction. Do you remember John chapter 1, verse 9? It says that the true light, which gives light to everyone, right? This is the universal part, was coming into the world. He was in the world. It says the world was made through him, and yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. There is a rejection in John chapter 1 of the light. The same thing is true in John chapter 3, where we're told that those who believe are not condemned, but those who do not believe are condemned already. Why? Because the light has come into the world, and here it is, people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. The heart, the human heart, has the natural tendency to run toward the darkness. You look around you and you go, why is the world so messed up? Why don't, why don't people just get along? And why don't families stop breaking apart? And, and why do politicians stop being, don't they stop being crooked? And wh- why is all this the way it is? I mean, just, why don't people just do good? In fact, there are, there are many people who would just believe that most people are basically good. And the simple fact is, if that were true, people would be running toward the light. But what do we see? We see just the opposite. The reason is, by nature, we run away from the light. And to know Christ, to receive the light of life, is to, is to have a response to who Jesus is. Not to be who we are by nature, but to be what John 3 says, born again. To have a new view of the light. Some of you are here this morning, and if you were to be honest, you may have seen the light, but you're not following Jesus. And I want to just plead with you. I want to just plead with you to come out of spiritual darkness. To leave the darkness that is sin and rebellion against God and to follow Jesus with all that you are. To repent and believe the gospel. 
Before that, there is so much darkness in our lives and we don't even know the depth of it. But when we come to the light, the light of the glory of Christ shines into our life and we're changed forever. That's what happens when someone's born again. So my prayer for you is that you would do that. And toward that end, what I want you to see with the time that we have left is a picture here of what it means to be in darkness. Because you have a very short statement of Jesus. The sermon is about this long. Oh, contrary to what the pastor's sermon normally is here at Southwide. But at any rate, the sermon is about this long. But then the illustration is forever long of what it means to be in darkness. What does it look like in the lives of these men? And my prayer for you is as you see this, you would see with great clarity whether you are in the light whether you are walking in darkness. So number one, five different pictures we see what it means to be in spiritual darkness. Number one, those in spiritual darkness do not have the truth. They do not have the truth. So here's where their response begins. You look at verse 11, verse 12, and then their response begins right here in verse 13. It says, so the Pharisees said to him, you are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. You don't believe what Jesus is saying. So verse 14, Jesus answers them, even if I do bear witness about myself, he says, my testimony is true. For I know where I came from and where I am going, but you do not know where I came from or where I am going. You need to understand something about what's happening here in this exchange between Jesus and the Pharisees. Jesus has made some pretty high claims about who he is and what the truth is. And there's a dispute between the Pharisees and Jesus. And Jesus is saying, no, what I'm telling you is true. And the Pharisees are saying, no, what you're telling us is not the truth. So they've got to settle the issue. Now, we do this in our day in court, right? We know what this looks like. I'm going to find out the truth of the thing, so I'm going to come and hear both sides. There's going to be a jury and a judge, and the judge is going to determine what the sentence is, and the jury is going to determine who's lying and who's telling the truth. That's the way we see it in our day. But in the New Testament, really carrying in from the Old Testament, the way that they determine this is to call witnesses similar to our day. They would have someone who would decide, and they would call witnesses The problem is, with the whole concept, is that they're holding Jesus to the reliability of a human witness. The people of the Old Testament needed this principle of of calling a witness on both sides. If two witnesses confirm it, then it must be true. The people of the Old Testament needed that because they're dealing with people who are prone to forget And prone to lie. I know that doesn't make up anybody in this room. um, But that's what they were prone to do. Jesus, however, was God in human flesh. And that's actually what he appeals to. He says in verse 14, even if I do bear witness about myself. He says, my testimony is true. Why? For I know where I came from and where I am going. His origin, namely heaven, was what authorized his word. 
And what he says to them is, you do not understand the things of heaven. You don't know where I am from or where I am going. In other words, you don't have the truth. You don't know the truth. Everything I claim is true. But what you have is not the truth. Can I tell you that we're living in a world today that is in a constant quest for the truth. But as Timothy says, they are, Paul says to Timothy, they are always learning but never coming to the knowledge of the truth. We live in a world that has all but rejected not only the truth of God's word, but the very concept that anything can, is, it can and is absolutely true. They've rejected the entire concept of truth. Truth becomes relative. So in this, this, con, this, this quest for, for truth, maybe you're right, maybe I'm right, maybe we'll call some witnesses, maybe we need the best expert of the day, maybe we need to determine based on what history says or what this says or what that says, and there's all these standards for truth. Does science prove it? Does this prove it? Does that prove it? Even to the point of getting into social constructs in our day, we're the only way for you to know something is true is if you experience it. If you've been a part of it. You can't even know whether I've experienced whatever I have unless you've lived my life. Unless you've walked in my shoes. The interesting thing is Jesus cuts all of that off at the feet. <laughs> he says, unless you have a spiritual mind, unless you are in the light and not in darkness, you don't have truth at all. It's not even a journey to determine what truth is because that's already established. Jesus says he is truth. God's word is truth. But he looks at them and says, you do not have the truth. Do you understand this morning that for us to walk in darkness is to walk without truth? It is to not even be able to discern truth from error. So we must not walk in darkness. We must follow Jesus and receive the light of life. It's darkness to not know the truth. No matter how liberating it's sold to us as. Right? No matter how free we think we are because we don't have any accountability to the truth. The reality is it's nothing but darkness. And we're stumbling around in the dark as if we knew where to go. Those who are in spiritual darkness have no truth. Second. Those in spiritual darkness do not have clear judgment. If you don't have the truth, you don't have any standard by which to say something is right or wrong, do you? If you don't have the truth, you don't have any standard by which to call something good or bad. Your only standard is your own subjective reasoning. And because you don't have the truth, it's flawed. So they are... Without judgment. Look at verse 15 with me. Jesus says, you judge according to the flesh. And the statement after that, I judge no one, can be kind of confusing when you get into verse 16. And Jesus says, even if I do judge. What, what is Jesus getting at with this like tension, right? Well, remember, Jesus is both fully God and fully man. They're hearing human judgment and Jesus is trying to quantify divine judgment. And he says to them, you judge according to the flesh. I don't judge anyone like that. If I judge, it's true judgment. 
For I do not alone judge, but I am the Father who sent me. In other words, I judge with the very judgment of God because He is God in human flesh. So how they see Jesus and why what they believe about Him is wrong is because they're judging according to the flesh. Their flesh is flawed. Their flesh is frail and with plenty of error. Their standard, they're judging according to their own standard and their standard is not perfect. They're judging with their own ability. And I don't know about you, but I've been duped before. It's very easy for me to believe a lie. And it's very easy for me to deceive. Why? Because our judgment is utterly broken. Why? Because it's my own judgment. My own judgment has been broken by the darkness that I'm in. Right? I mean, imagine for a moment that this room were pitch black. And I simply were to hold an object before you and ask you to tell me what that object is. That's crazy, right? None of us can do that. But it's even crazier that we try to discern spiritual things with the natural mind. When we're living in darkness, Paul says it can't even be done. We need a spiritual mind. We need to be walking in the light. So they see Jesus and they say, What you're doing is not true, but Jesus says you're judging with the wrong mind. You're judging with the wrong mind. You see, as sinners, our rationale can't even be trusted. I can't even trust my own emotions, my own opinions about anything. So many people are trying to come to faith or trying to find God by their own rationale, trying to reason their way to God, come up with all of these proofs for God's existence, come up with all of these answers for why God operates the way that He operates, at least trying to come up with this kind of thesis on God. The problem is, all of our rationale is broken. We must take God at His word. We cannot judge according to God's standard. Only God can do that. So we must judge with His judgment. A couple of side notes here that should be noted. One, the judgment of God is a reality. If we're to admit that our judgment is not God's judgment, then we must admit that God does judge. Jesus says, even if I do judge, I judge rightly. The fact is, every one of us will stand before God and we will give an account for our lives. And when we face God, God will judge rightly and whatever decision He makes will be true. And He's already given us the standard by which He will judge us. And that is the perfection of His own holiness. The judgment of God is a reality. Second side note to note, and that is that the righteousness of Jesus is perfect. Praise God for this. Verse 17, in your law it is written that the testimony of two people is true. And he goes on to say, listen, I'm even obeying your law. I don't need any more witnesses. But understand that I'm living in perfect fulfillment of that law. Verse 18, I bear witness of myself and the Father bears witness of me. 
He met the requirement of the law. This is why, church, we need perfect judgment. Because not only does the perfect judgment guarantee that God will judge us based on the standard of his own perfect holiness, it means that every believer has a righteousness in Christ that is absolutely perfect. Jesus never failed in his own obedience to the law. Amen, church? That's good news today. Because our our righteousness before God is not flawed if we are in the light, if we are in Christ. Third, what is the third picture here? Not only do we need his judgment and his righteous standard, his truth. Those in spiritual darkness do not know God. Those in spiritual darkness do not know God. Verse 19. They said to him, therefore, where is your father? And of course, Jesus is talking about his heavenly father. He's not talking about his earthly father. Joseph is not here in this picture. Nowhere do we see Joseph come up in this story. He's he's talking, as he often does, about his heavenly father. And what does he say about that? Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. We're going to dive into this concept of the whole father and who their father was and all of that in a few short weeks when we get to the end of John chapter 8. But for now, you need to realize that Jesus is talking about his heavenly father. And he says, you don't know my heavenly father. You don't know me and you don't know my father. In other words, you don't know God. Remember who he's talking to. The most religious of the day. But they were most definitely in spiritual darkness. And Jesus says, not only are you in darkness, you do not know God. You don't even know God. Can I tell you that there is so much taught today about this knowing of God or walking with God, this kind of sentimental affection for God without any of the other stuff in the Bible to go along with it. What do you mean by that? I I talk to people often asking the question, are you a Christian? Do you know Christ? Have you ever turned from your sin and believed the gospel? And inevitably, the most popular answer I get in the Bible belt is, I pray all the time. I talk to God all the time. God always takes care of me. I don't ever have anything to worry about because God is always looking out for me. Or I get some social label of Christianity that is synonymous with just being a patriot. I'm a good patriot, so it makes me a good Christian. I love America, so I must love Jesus. Can I tell you that 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 could not be further from the truth? Someone who loves Jesus should also be a good citizen. We see that in Scripture. But just because you're a good American doesn't mean you love Jesus. Jesus and America aren't going to be side by side in heaven. And God is going to say, did you love America? Well, you must have loved Jesus, so I'll let you in. It's just not going to happen. And your casual feeling about being in constant communication with God has no authority on the Bible. I I just got to say this. I got to say this. Betty White was not a professing Christian. 
can I just say this to you? Like, let's get the gospel right. Betty White was a professing Unitarian who believes that God is some form of energy and we're all a part of him. There is no gospel in the Unitarian faith. It's not the Christian faith. And yet I've seen this, this image and it just it drives me batty. I've seen this image of this reunion of the golden girls in heaven. And somehow we think that that's, that's what heaven is like. Two of the golden girls were non-Messianic Jews. One of them is a Unitarian and the other one grew up Methodist and who knows what she continued on doing in her life. That's not what heaven is like. Heaven is full of people who know Jesus, who've been born again and who love Him and who are walking in the light. This is what it means to follow Christ and it does not equate, that picture is not knowing God. To know God is like Enoch, one who walked with God all the days of their life. It's someone who loves Jesus and spends time with Jesus and and is trusted in Jesus for their salvation and nothing else. My friend, if you are without the Jesus of the Bible, you do not know God. And you need to repent and believe the gospel and come to the light of the world this morning. Fourth. What does it mean to walk in darkness? Number four, those in spiritual darkness do not go to heaven. Those in spiritual darkness do not go to heaven. Verse 21. So he said to them again. Oh, hear this church. Hear this. I'm going away and you will seek me and you will die in your sin. Where I'm going, you cannot come. The Jews Confused and probably angry at this point. What do you mean we're not going where you're going? Surely you're talking about killing yourself because we would be in, we're going to be in heaven and you've got to be talking about suicide because you could never get to heaven on that. So you got to be, you got to be talking about that. And Jesus says, Oh no. You're from below. I'm from above. You're of this world. I'm not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins. For unless you believe that I am He, you will die in your sins. Where is Jesus going? He's going to the cross. Jesus is going to die for the sins of the world. He's going to be raised and He will ascend to the right hand of the throne of God. And those that do not believe the gospel will not be in heaven. Those who do not walk in the light, those who walk in spiritual darkness and remain, Jesus says more specifically, you will die in your sins. And that is a condition. The Bible says that the penalty of sin is death. And it's not just death as in this physical death because we all will die one day. It is an eternal spiritual death separated from God in a place called hell. And you need to understand this morning that those who die in their sins, those who walk in spiritual darkness, who do not come to the light of the world, who reject Christ, will not go to heaven whenever they die. This is crystal clear in God's Word. There are not, as some would popularly state, multiple ways to heaven. There are not, there, is, there are not multiple heavens where there are all kind of this concept human concept, and somehow you get to your heaven and I get to mine and all's well with the world. There are not all of these paths that seem different and they all end up in the same place. Everyone's not going to heaven. Only those who repent of their sin and believe the gospel 
spend eternity with Christ. This is why the matter of proclaiming the gospel has so much urgency. Because your neighbors and your family members really are going to hell. And unless they hear the good news of Christ, they will continue on that path. And you have been called and commanded by God to make the gospel known to all creatures. So let's do this with the urgency of heaven and hell in our hearts. And you also need to know that if you are here without Christ this morning, that today you need to repent and believe the gospel before it is too late. Because this is the reality of God's word. It is true. Because God has said it. Finally, one more picture and we'll close. Because all of this is bad news, isn't it? This character of what it looks like to walk in darkness is not anything I want to be. So so what do I do? Jesus says that those in spiritual darkness need the gospel. And the gospel is good news. Verse 25 So they said to them, who are you? Or said to him, who are you? I love that. As if he's not already told them. And they're not asking who you are in terms of identity. I think what they're asking is, what right do you have to say these these things to us? How dare you? Who are you, Jesus? And Jesus just answers their question. Just what I've been telling you from the very beginning. It says, I have much to say to you and much to judge, but he who sent me is true, and I declare to the world that I have heard from what I've heard from him. It says they didn't understand. They didn't understand that Jesus had been speaking to them about the Father. So Jesus speaks here with some incredible clarity, and he says in verse 28, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he. That I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. And what is he speaking? What has he been speaking? He's been preaching the gospel. What does he mean by lifting up the Son of Man? The Jews themselves are going to lift up the Son of Man, but they do not do so in worship. They actually do so in execution. They're going to raise Jesus up on a cross in order to get rid of him. But do you remember what happens at the end of that story? The Roman centurion seeing Jesus having taken his last breath on the cross and having given everything for the sins of the world, he says what? Surely this man was the Son of God. He says, you're going to know exactly who I am when you lift me up. And it is going to be good news to you. And then here's what takes place. Three days later, Jesus is raised from the dead. He spends 50 days on earth. He ascends to the Father. And then the Holy Spirit comes, fills the church. And guess what happens? The gospel is preached in all the land. And hundreds of thousands of people get saved. Why? Because the gospel is good news. The gospel is the good news that we are in deep darkness. And yet our God has not left us in our darkness. That no matter how deep our darkness runs, the love of the Father to come and send His only Son to die in our place runs deeper still. That no matter how great our sin is, His grace is greater still. 
And no matter how bad the bad news is, that the good news is even better still. Jesus came to seek and to save you and me. And he did so by giving his life on the cross. And here's the good news of the story. The end of this story. It says the end of the story in verse 30. As he was saying these things, many believed in him. I'm thankful that even today there are people who are still believing this gospel and coming out of the darkness into the light because Christ is still saving. Maybe that's you today. Maybe some of you here this morning, you need to turn from your darkness, your rebellion against God and trust in Christ. Maybe some of you need to be convicted this morning yet again that this gospel we have is good news and you need to be proclaiming it with every breath that you have. No matter the case, we need to respond to God in obedience this morning. With every head bowed, every eye closed. As Dylan comes and leads us in the time of invitation, I want to invite you to come. In just a few moments, whenever we stand, this altar is going to be open. It is an opportunity. This opportunity today, right now, as God has been speaking to your heart, it is your opportunity to walk down this aisle and to respond to what He's been saying to you. Namely, some of you this morning, you're in spiritual darkness and you need to turn to the light of the world. You feel the weight of it. You know the depth of it. You feel distant from God. You know that you've never trusted in Jesus. The question is, will you love your darkness this morning enough that you stay there? Or will you turn and believe the gospel and trust in Christ? The decision is yours. God commands all men everywhere to repent. You need to do that this morning. So in just a few moments, when we stand, I want to invite you to come down this aisle. Say something like, Pastor, today I want to come to the light. been living in the darkness. So I want to come to the light. And I'll lead you to the light of the world. Jesus, the only one that can save you. In Him you'll be born again. Today you'll be made new. The darkness won't seem so great because the light has pierced the darkness. Jesus saves. Others of you in this room, you've got a neighbor, a friend, a family member you need to pray for. This altar will be open. Some of you need to ask the Lord to forgive you because you've not been faithful to proclaim the gospel with the greatest urgency of your life. So in just a few moments, this altar will be open. You come this morning and you pray. Offer it up to the Lord. You need somebody to pray with you, I'll be here. Maybe there's other needs in this room. I don't know what God's laid on your heart. What I do know is this, that the call of the gospel, the call of God's word, is to obey Him today. Would you stand with me all across this room? Lord, we ask for You to have Your way in our hearts and in this place. God, that You would be exalted. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. The altar's open. You come this morning. You've been listening to the Southwide Baptist Church Podcast with Pastor Jeremy Lewis. For more information about our church, please visit www.southwidebaptist.com. We also invite you to connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram by searching for Southwide BC. Thank you for listening, and may you continue to worship connect, grow, and multiply as you follow Jesus Christ.